This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their taproom in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. And welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're broadcasting for the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. And this week, Brian, we're not even talking about beer. What? Right. We are talking <laughs> bourbon. I am Tim Dennison. With me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Brian Hewitt. Hey, Tim. So joining us today, we have Bruce Tierney, the spirits consultant for DeCab Bottle House. He's an avid taster, chaser, and collector of a variety of spirits, not to mention a walking encyclopedia of cocktails. He's probably forgotten more about bourbon than I will ever know, Tim. Bruce, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this evening talking bourbon with you guys. Bruce, you know, just to get a little kickoff here, we're already sipping some bourbon. What do we start with here? What is in our glass? Today we're drinking, right now at least, the Elijah Craig Standard Release. This is a bourbon made by Heaven Hill Distillery, and it's one of the ones that I suggest people who want to introduce themselves to bourbon try because I think it's a great way to start drinking bourbon. That sounds good to me. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got plenty more. We've got nice basic bourbons. To drink, we've got some uh, more allocated stuff for those that know bourbon. Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. We've got we got a couple of a those. couple of yeah. appearances there, but uh, I think we're in for a pretty good time. And we uh, also have a a barrel proof version of Elijah Craig, which would be interesting oh to boy. try to see how okay. that's different from the standard version. I like strong bourbons, and so uh, Booker's is one of my favorites. I really enjoy that. So it's going to be a good time, Brian. I had some bourbon last night. Did you? I okay. was I was sitting around the house with a glass of sweet tea. I was thinking about the show this week, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put some bourbon in this sweet tea. Nice. So How was the it? South, that's, it was good. I okay, actually good. Yeah. like it quite a lot. So it was a, it was a good time. Bruce, you know, I know I'm, there's no point in asking you this question because I've seen your collection. Do you have a go-to bourbon? I really don't. It's more of a okay. mood thing for me. I choose what feels right at the time. And sometimes that's not even bourbon because my collection covers the spectrum of spirits that exist out there. Okay. All right. Just have fun with it. I have Get seen it. He's it. got he's got everything. I've seen the, the layout of by geography, by the region. So yeah. Okay. He organizes okay. that stuff. Yeah. Regions and styles, yes, absolutely. It's impressive. Brian, did you have any bourbon this week? I did. You know what? I uh, know Mike Nate had mentioned how a good Old Forester 1910 was and how it was reminiscent of birthday bourbon. I went and bought a bottle of it and tried it and really enjoyed it and then bought another one for the studio. So we've got that here as well. Yeah. And we've got a bottle. Bruce, you brought a 1920, right? 1920, which is the higher proof version of that same series of bourbons that um, Old Forester created several years ago. Very interesting. Well, as we dive into this more, we're going to get into a little bit of the history of bourbon. We're going to talk about how to taste bourbon, what flavors to look for, some popular bourbons to look out for, some of the big distillers, and just get some basic. This is a bourbon primer. Yeah. And an excuse to drink a lot of really nice bourbons. An excuse to drink bourbon as it, you know, as it's switch up from beer. Just as you do, absolutely. Great. So I think it's time for us to get into the beers, I mean the bourbons of the week. Now it's time for our Beers of the Week, brought to you by The Nest, craft beer and barbecue in downtown Kennesaw, Georgia, thenestkennesaw.com. 
As always, we've got a great list to drink, Brian, but it's not beer this week. Yeah. We're going to get into these <laughs> bourbons. Uh, but And we want to thank The Nest for sponsoring this segment. The Nest has bourbon as well, Brian. They're known for their beer and barbecue, but they've got a bourbon selection there. I never well. actually ordered the, the bourbon there. I did notice yes. that they had it. They well, do cocktails, so, you know, they are involved with Apotheos Roasters. Sure. And they do coffee cocktails there with some I'm of their various board beers. I'm yeah. And you know what? For those that like coffee, stay tuned because uh, towards the end of this month, we're going to be doing a coffee and beer show with them there so it's gonna be be excellent but anyhow brian our bourbons this week i'm gonna mention a few because we have several to try a hoarder's collection these are the basics man makers mark woodford reserve buffalo trace wild turkey 101 but we also have from the buffalo trace antique collection we have the william larue weller that's a hard one to say yeah it is (laughs) uh we have a little bit of george t stag that looks like that bottle may be autographed is that right uh bruce that's true it was autographed by the master distiller but i'm not a picky person i drink everything it's okay it's not there for show it's there for drinking nothing is sacred drink at all but we've got uh you know a couple more that you mentioned just a lot of really nice bourbons to get into i think this is going to be fun to dive in i enjoy bourbon but don't know a lot about it so it'll be fun to get a little education here, Brian. Yeah, I'm just down with drinking just some down more with bourbon. Drinking bourbon. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, what is happening this week in the news? What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Time for headlines. All right, so before I actually get into the news, Bruce had a story that he was telling us about just before. The- Bruce, could you give us a quick overview of that story? Sure. There's a, a large distillery called MGP, also known as Midwest Grain Products. And they have been a producer of bourbon for other people to bottle, but they're trying to expand their line on the shelf of their own brands. And they purchased another distillery called Luxro, which is just starting to produce whiskey. It's only been in operation for several years. So that's a big new thing. So we'll start seeing them on the shelves. It won't just be under somebody else's name sometime soon, probably. That's correct. At some point, we will see them on the shelf under their own names. Okay, that's cool. All right, so let's get in some beer news. Thanks to uh, craftbrewingbusiness.com for the heads up on this. The Hop Growers of America have released their annual report for 2020, and the total acreage dedicated to hops grew by 3.73% in 2020, though the overall production dropped about 7.29% from 2019. Citra is still king, and it has widened its lead over the other hops in terms of acreage, but not far behind it are Mosaic and Simcoe. Average hop yield in the Pacific Northwest fell in 2020 due to weather, you know, like a severe storm around Labor Day and some heavy smoke cover thanks to a bunch of wildfires. So the production outside the Pacific Northwest was actually up a little bit in 2020. You know, no surprise that Citrus King. We see it in so yeah. many IPAs out there. So it, it's holding that spot, man. Everybody wants that Citra. So a bunch of beer menus are going to have to be updated because AB InBev is moving production of Stella Artois to the U.S. by the end of the year. So places that still have import sections on their beer list, which is still funny to think of, but I've seen it recently. Sure, They're going to have to sure. scratch off Stella because it's going to be made in the U.S. The cost of moving production to the U.S. will cost the company around almost $300 million, and uh, their reason for doing so is to mitigate the international supply chain issues that the company has faced during the, the pandemic, so it's been tough for them. While this does seem to be a big deal, some of Stella's labeled products on the shelf are already made in the U.S., like their Midnight Lager. And uh, Stella Artois in the European market will continue to be brewed by AB InBev's facility in Belgium. So it'll still be made there, just not for the U.S. market. Haven't they had other breweries that did something like that? That uh, Was it Kona 
that like people filed yes. a class action because they said this isn't brewed in Hawaii? Because they thought it was brewed in Hawaii, and I it actually sounded like a frivolous lawsuit. But the, in truth, I don't think it really was. I think it was brewed in California somewhere. So yeah, because they're part of Craft Beer Alliance. That might it? be. Oh Are man, I'm, part of that? I'm yeah, not 100 percent sure, but yeah, they're somewhere along the way. I think it leads back up to AB InBev. So. But I can bet you that ABI is well aware of these issues, and they will have some kind of verbiage or disclaimer. That covers them from uh, from that. What I wonder with the advertising for Stella, because it's always been the European thing. It used to be the pedigree of the guy who came up with uh, Stella Artois and his history a little bit in an advertisement all shiny. I'm wondering if they're going to still advertise it as though it were an import, but never actually say that it's an import. You know, leave you to lead Probably you to believe brewed in the Belgian tradition. The, in Something. the Belgian tradition, yeah, yeah. shown and Belgian, you know, or foreign sure. locales, but not actually uh, labeled as such. So. That's what I'm thinking. So some pretty productive big game beer stats from Brewbound. Uh, draft sales were down 46% nationwide during the Super Bowl compared with levels during Super Bowl 54, which was last year. And uh, that's on pace with the average decline experience across the country, according to Beer Board, a company that tracks draft sales at bars and restaurants. In Tampa, Florida, the city that hosted both the Super Bowl and it was the home of the winning team, it saw sales decline by 28.3% last year. Still declined, not as much as in Kansas City, where draft sales were down 55%. 55? 55% wow. from okay. the previous year. This is draft sales. So, draft, you know, okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Interestingly, the light lager style was also down 1.4%, but lagers overall are actually increasing by 0.9%. So people are upping their lager game from light lager to a different kind of lager, Tim. A different kind of lager. That's right. You know, talking about the draft sales being down and that I heard, uh, I saw a post today that Chicago is starting to loosen restrictions in restaurants dining and i was thinking man being here in georgia that's all transparent we don't see that it just seems almost business as usual here it's been yeah it's been pretty wide open for a lot of that stuff for sure definitely yeah Yeah, well you know we've been really responsible here with it so it's great the way all this is gone i mean two out of every three people will even wear a mask so it's you know it's been amazing absolutely well you're listening to the beer guys radio show we do need to take a break but we'll be right back to talk more bourbon Have you ever thought about owning your own brewery but don't know what it takes to get one built? We're Storytime Construction, and we build breweries. We're Georgia's most experienced and hands-on contractors when it comes to building new breweries and tap rooms or expanding existing breweries. We offer full build-outs, remodeling, and additions, as well as consulting and construction management. Give us a call at 770-733-4343. Storytime Construction. We build breweries. the beer guys on facebook twitter and instagram boy that escalated quickly i mean that really got out of hand fast now back to the beer guys radio show welcome back to the beer guys radio show remember all episodes are available on demand so if you miss the broadcast get the podcast beer guys radio is available on all popular and unpopular podcasting apps now let's get back to bourbon with bruce Bourbon with Bruce. That sounds like a good name there, Yeah, I, I like that, yes. We were saying, I don't know if you heard us earlier, but we said your catchphrase should be the Bruce is loose. Yeah. So if you're not using that, 
Nice. It has been used okay. before for okay. me. Yes. Good deal. Well, Bruce, bourbon. Uh, where did bourbon start? How did bourbon get started? There's a lot of mystery surrounding the real origins of bourbon. Bourbon was associated with whiskey that was first made in what was really the Virginia colony before this was a country and an area known as the bourbon region of that part of the colony, mostly in what's now present day Kentucky. And people grew grain and corn grew better there. And corn was used to make a lot of whiskey as a result of that rather than rye, which was often used more on the East Coast. So it became a different spirit. And they were making this whiskey basically to, if they had grain left over, they didn't want to waste it. So they would turn it into whiskey, which obviously wouldn't go bad over a period of time. And that was extra income or medicinal purposes. A lot of different ways to use bourbon from those days. I'd heard one analogy or story of this is a lot of the settlers there coming over from Europe when they were in you know, Europe, if they had excess grain, it went to the crown. And they come over here if they have excess grain, you know, they've got... There's no the, crown to which you can send it to, you know? yeah. And so they're like, it's time to make some whiskey. And they didn't figure out a way to pickle corn, apparently, so you got to distill it. Pickled corn. I don't know about that, Brian. I don't know about <laughs> well, that. Well, a lot of them came with their own whiskey distilling traditions, and that's how it became popular for farmers who had to be pretty much self-providing. They couldn't depend on going to the nearest store because there was no nearest store to go to. It was a trading post that might be miles and miles away. So they had to provide for themselves. And a lot of them, the people that were thought to do that were was a group called the Scots-Irish, which is a particular group of people. I don't know if we want to get into that here, but uh, and other Scots and Irish people who immigrated to the U.S. during that time period or the actually the colonies really at that time period. Okay. And even the name bourbon, like the origins of not just where it came from, but the name is kind of disputed. Very much so. Yes. Uh, like I said, uh, some people relate it to the fact that there was a bourbon county or a bourbon region in that area. But I think uh, Mike Veach, who is a longtime bourbon historian, might have the most uh, reliable story. He's a, an author of an excellent book called Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey and American Heritage, and has a great deal about uh, American bourbon history, having studied it for a long time. And he believes the name evolved in New Orleans because there were two Frenchmen who went up to Louisville and began shipping whiskey down in charred barrels from Kentucky to New Orleans. And because it was a cheap alternative to French brandy and it, but it tasted somewhat similar and it was sold on Bourbon Street. So people would ask for that bourbon, that whiskey from Bourbon Street. And that eventually became people asking for bourbon whiskey. Bourbon whiskey. I'd seen or heard something about the popularity of that taking off potentially because of, was it the brandy influence? Because people accidentally stumbled in the fact if you char a barrel, you're getting some interesting character that was very popular with, with brandy, right? And there's some debate about char barrels. A lot of times it was barrels were used to ship something else to Kentucky, and they might have been nails, it might have been pickles, it might have been a lot of things. And so they charred them out to kind of clean them out, and that turned out to make the whiskey taste really okay. good. They found out that they charred it for cleaning and find out it actually tastes good. Because I've always wondered stuff like that. Like, how did we discover distilling? How did we discover that you can take grain, let it ferment, you know, I mean, just discovering beer is pretty interesting, but then to boil it, distill it, get that off of there makes an even better spirit. How do we get from A to Z on this? I'm guessing somebody left a pot of their beer and like a lid on it and it dribbled over into another pot and they drank the the liquid off of that and they're like, oh my goodness, this is the greatest thing ever. And so they're like, let's figure out how to do this a million more times. There is a direct connection between beer and whiskey, of course, because whiskey is just basically beer distilled. In fact, the, the main vat that whiskey is kept in is called the beer well or the beer mash, which is what then goes into the still. And that's what makes your whiskey. So they definitely have a direct relationship. 
relationship. A lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the time spent in barrels, but I mean, how important is the mash bill? Because I know in beer, it's all about the ingredients going in, but in whiskey, it always seems like it's all about the time spent in a barrel. And it seems to me like I would think the ingredients going in in those specific ratios would probably have a greater influence than the actual time in a barrel. One might think that, but uh, most people, most of the experts estimate that the barrel provides you about 60% of the flavor that you're getting from 60% is a result of the aging in the barrel. Now the recipe certainly makes a difference whether you're using rye or wheat as your secondary grain. Bourbon of course must be primarily corn, but you can use other grains as a secondary flavoring agent. And then of course yeast has a big role in it because yeast is used to ferment what you're the grains that you're making and proprietary yeasts are often used and they do and contribute to the flavor of the product that you're getting do you know what the abv of like a whiskey mash is is it higher because i know a lot of yeast are sensitive to high alcohol so i'm assuming they have to have a special yeast that can ferment that up there it's probably roughly seven eight percent of what you're getting it's not very high at all And that is an issue. You don't want to get too much alcohol in there because that will distress your yeast and produce potentially bad flavors or maybe kill the yeast. Right. I don't claim to be a distiller, but I know that that is the case. I wonder if anybody's distilled like a Drew Fontenot Oud Goose. Oh, you now can guarantee one, most anything to yeah, distilled. I really want to try a, a Oud Goose a whiskey now, now that I'm thinking about it, because you can really distill anything you wanted. Sure. And uh, I guess... Depending on how you distill it, you bring in more or less of the flavor. So we've had a distillery here, local distillery, IDC, Independent Distilling, which is one of my personal favorite locals. But they did a beer schnapps they with did. Three Taverns Brewery, and it was really nice. They actually, that did was fantastic. One. I don't think it was actually a beer schnapps because I don't think it was a finished beer. But another brewery made like a mash for them. They didn't ferment it all the way out into a beer, but they like made a mash that they then distilled, and it was really tasty, really nice. The reason for the name beer schnapps was because there were other ingredients in that particular beer that did not allow it to be called a whiskey once it was distilled. Okay. So it was really yeah. a, a matter of the ingredients used beforehand that resulted in the name. So there are rules about if you can call it a bourbon, but there's also rules about whether you can call it even a whiskey. Yes. Then. What kind of rules would you run into? What makes Interesting. bourbon bourbon? Yeah. Sure. What makes well, bourbon bourbon? it's easier to talk about what makes bourbon bourbon than if you don't have those things, you, you don't have a bourbon. You, bourbon, of course, is a, a whiskey that's distilled from at least 51% corn. Yeah. And it can be other grains in addition to the corn, but the corn can be higher than 51%. It can be 80%. It can be a very high percentage or it can be a lower percent and the, the flavoring grain can be a higher percentage. It's distilled and it can't be distilled above 160 proof, which prevents the distillate from getting neutral flavored. It's got to retain some flavor of that mash bill to be a whiskey. You don't want to completely wipe out all the flavor there. And then when it's put in the barrel, it can only be put in at 125 proof. It has to be lowered down to a certain proof before it's aged in the barrel. It can be lower than 125, but it can't be any higher than that level. And then, of course, the kicker with bourbon is that it must then be aged in new charred oak containers. Can't be aged in used containers at all. You say containers, so they don't even have to be barrels, do they? Uh, I say that specifically because the rule says that they can be container, that they are containers, and they could be an oak box if one wanted to use that as a, a foot locker, <laughs> yeah. charred foot locker, oak box. made from ori- from charred white oak. Yeah, <laughs> but of course, all the major distillers use barrels. That's been the standard for a very long time. It's just unique in bourbon and in, in other straight whiskeys like rye whiskey that it must be new oak that's charred. That's not true for any other whiskey that I'm aware of uh, on a routine 
basis to have to use new charred oak. It's unique. That, that probably explains why we have a variety of bourbon barrels available, like for aging beers and different things. Sure. Because use them once they're done there, right? Seriously, there's no recycling. Yeah. It's, it's actually a good thing that you can uh, you can use it for beer and other other things, yeah. so like maple syrup and things like that, All too. Kinds yeah, of more, more than that, though, they're used for almost every other spirit that spends time in barrels. Rum is aged and used bourbon, yeah. with, uh, scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey, tequila, ev- almost everything oh, else tequila. is aged and used barrels. And then coming out of that, Bruce, when they come out of the barrels, it has to be bottled, is it at 80 proof at least, or at least 80 proof? That's the minimum proof that a whiskey can be bottled and still be licensed as the whiskey in the United States. That's not true in all countries, but that's the case in the U.S. Okay, and to be bourbon, it is protected. It has to be made in the United States, but some people mistakenly think Kentucky. That's not the case. It just has to be U.S. A common misconception, bourbon can be made anywhere in the U.S., and as you mentioned, we have some made right here at Independent Distilling Company right in Decatur, Georgia, Georgia. and there's a couple of others making bourbon in the Atlanta area as well. Good stuff. Well, you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take another break, but we'll be back very soon to talk more bourbon. Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Looking for a great craft beer to enjoy at home? Get your beer to go at The Nest in Kennesaw, Georgia. Choose from their 48 taps to enjoy there with some tasty barbecue and take some home with you for later. Grab a crispy pilsner, a nice tart sour, or a bold stout to sit by the fire. Just bring your growler in and choose a favorite or two to take with you. It's our beer, your growler, at The Nest for your brews to go. Check out the beer and food menus before you visit at thenestkennesaw.com. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Shake it, back! Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. I want to give a quick shout out to our newest radio affiliate, a new one, KIXZ News Radio 940 AM in Amarillo, Texas. Catch Beer Guys Radio on KIXZ every Sunday. I think Brian. it's Sunday it at Sunday. 3 p.m. Yeah, but now let's get back to bourbon with Bruce. Bruce, bourbon. You know, if we had the rights to Amarillo by morning, we'd play that right yeah. now. We think we would, but we don't. So we're just going to move on then and I, talk more I about understand. bourbon, man. I understand. So we are drinking a bourbon right now as part of what is called the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, correct? Correct. And these are allocated bourbon. So, Bruce, I think this is a good opportunity to talk about what flavors we're going to look for in a bourbon and maybe how to taste one. Just overall bourbon, uh, what flavors are you going to look for there? The most common flavors people often describe are caramel, vanilla character, and maybe in an older bourbon, it might get a little bit more leathery. You might get a little bit more woodiness to a bourbon. A younger bourbon might have more sort of tannic flavors to it until it's aged a little bit more. There are some bourbons that have unique fruit flavors. Cherry shows up a lot of times in descriptions of bourbons. And then some bourbons, particularly rye whiskey, which is not a bourbon, but there are high rye bourbons, will have more earthy or nutty flavors or herbal flavors in them that people look for. I found out that I really enjoy 
bourbons that are called wheated bourbons or higher wheat. What is the wheat character? What does wheat typically add to a bourbon? Wheat is softer and sweeter, so you take it with that sweet corn and you're going to get a sweeter bourbon. Usually it's a little easier to drink, and so in that way it might be a better introductory bourbon for someone who's concerned about how harsh it might be at first. I'm a delicate fella. I understand that entirely. So you might get some more of those butterscotch notes that I get out of some bourbons that are really like hard candy or butterscotch. So. I'm on board with the whole weeded bourbon train. I really am. Well, one good way to to better understand that is to look up online and find what's called a tasting wheel. There are some made specifically for bourbon, and that can give you a sense of what flavors you might want to look for. What are the darker flavors? What are the lighter flavors, the fruity flavors, the herbal flavors that can allow you to begin describing what you're tasting? I actually recommend when people first start tasting bourbon to keep notes so that you can remember from one time to the next time what flavors you've tasted. Are there any common off flavors in bourbons that people want to say? Because I know certain beers are things like, hey, this is, you know, acetaldehyde. You're going to get green apple or whatever. Does bourbon have any that kind of plague it? There can sometimes be bitterness, particularly in the finish of a bourbon, toward the end of a bourbon, maybe an herbal bourbon that tends to go more bitter towards the end of it, certainly. Uh, Older bourbons can get almost ashy rather than just being wood or leather. Now, there are a lot of people who like that flavor profile, and it's in older and usually more expensive whiskeys that you find it. When you say older, you're not talking like a bottle that sat on the shelf for 20 years. You're talking older as in how long it's been in the barrels, correct? That's correct. Bourbon, if it's maintained properly in a bottle, doesn't particularly change over time. Uh, However, every year in the barrel does change. Every day in the barrel really changes the flavor of the bourbon. So an ashy bourbon might be 15, 18, 20, or more years old. And bourbon is more difficult to have high ages than something like scotch because, one, it's in a new charred oak barrel. Scotch is in a used barrel where some of the flavor has already gone from it. And bourbon is subjected to much greater temperature ranges in Kentucky than right. scotch yeah. would be in the highlands of Scotland. So how important are the uh, the temperature ranges when you're when you're aging in a barrel? I mean, what does that do to the spirit inside? I think it's ex- extremely important because what age does is it moves the whiskey in and out of the barrel itself. You can actually, when you take a barrel apart, you can see how deep into the barrel the whiskey has gone. And that means it's picking up more flavor out of the barrel. And it only does that with greater variations in heat and temperature, whether it's hot or cold. And sometimes whiskeys are kept at the top of a rickhouse because they get more heat that way, and other whiskeys are kept at the bottom. And then the big distilleries will blend that to create a specific flavor profile that they're trying for. You know, on that note, Bruce, I saw something. I watched a documentary recently. I think we've all seen it here. Yeah, uh, we have. Called Neat, The Story of Bourbon. Really good show, but they talked about kind of the sweet spot in a warehouse and what they were calling the honey barrel. We sampled a little Four Roses single barrel earlier, and I think Blanton's was the first single barrel bourbon and he got some gruff from other distillers that are like, nah, that's not, you know, bourbon's about consistency and you can't get consistency in a single barrel like that. So others answered that with small batch or something like that to try and use those quote unquote honey barrels. So with that temperature, I mean, when, when it's hot, I'm assuming it's going to suck more in, right? Correct. More Expand in. the and fibers. Go into the, Kentucky the, the liquid winters. will go into the wood, right? Yes. Kentucky winters, that's going to contract and push it back Correct. more into the barrel. So, And the single barrel, or even the small batch phenomenon, you have to remember a single barrel is obviously a single barrel. It's the very smallest batch you can have. But small batch is not defined. A, a small batch okay. might be 10 barrels. It might be 100 barrels, and the distiller decides that's a small batch. And it, it is for some because they're batching very, very large amounts of barrels. And the argument there was between the blending I was talking about to make a consistent bourbon 
versus the uniqueness of having bourbon from one single barrel that will not be quite the same as any other whiskey that you're going to have because it came from that one single barrel and the barrel has such an influence on the flavor of the whiskey. So like this Four Roses single barrel that we have here, let's say I buy this bottle today and then three years from now I, I buy another bottle. Those are very likely going to be different whiskeys, correct? If they're single barrels, they absolutely are going to be okay. different whiskeys. Yeah. I have and they should have, I mean, I'm assuming since they're coming, they're both Four Roses, they're going to have similarities. There are going to be some differences as well, right? Unless they didn't sell all of that barrel and you right. bought a bottling from that same barrel That's why three, three years three later. Years. I'm hoping yeah. they can get rid of that in three years. Well, so. Four Roses is unique because Four Roses makes 10 different styles of bourbon. So you might have two different kinds of bourbon and different yeasts that made the bourbon in barrels sitting next to each other. However, I've had barrels from Four Roses that were single barrels that literally sat next to each other from the day they were distilled that are the same recipe and they taste different. They're not the same differences in wood sure. and you know where the tree grew when they comprised the wood basically yeah i saw in, in the documentary you mentioned that when they're making the barrels they're pulling these staves they may not be from the same tree they may be from trees all over the country so you're getting an mm. interesting blend of the terroir from a lot of different places when you put together a barrel well, a lot of american oak that's used in barrels uh, it can come from different places a lot of it comes from kind of the ozarks region missouri okay. arkansas area yeah. i think uh, and there's a big barrel making facility out there that makes those barrels. And Buffalo Trace is actually has a Buffalo Trace experimental collection, different from the antique collection, where they do experiments. And they did the single oak project single oak, right? where they yeah. actually okay. kept the barrel or the wood from the same tree in the barrel so that they could have some consistency and control over that. Whether it was the bottom of the tree, the top of the tree. The different recipes. That Those things are always fun. Stuff like that. I did a cigar tasting where a cigar is blended. Different tobaccos make up most cigars, but this lets you taste the individual components that went into this, so you could see how they came together. You know, we've done that. Uh, That's fun. You know, with yeah. beers and stuff. It, it's fun to do and that. So you'd be surprised how much difference there is from one week to the next. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. And how they come together. Once oh yeah. You put it all together, Bruce. I have a beautiful William Larue Weller in my glass now. I want to sit down with my journal, and I want to taste this. What's the proper way to taste this to really assess a bourbon? If you're tasting to taste rather than tasting to drink, right. it's two different things. Sure. Hopefully, by the time you're drinking it for enjoyment, you've tasted and learned what profiles you really enjoy. But if you're approaching it to taste, there's a whole process that you can go through to try to be consistent every time you taste a new bourbon. And, and that's a long process. Uh, but one of the most important things is to try to have a fresh palate, have not eaten strange things, drunk other bourbons beforehand, keep notes of what you're doing, have some water handy to kind of refresh your palate periodically. Um, maybe the, if it's a high-proof whiskey, you want a couple of drops. I actually think for the new person drinking whiskey, they really want to probably start with some consistent bourbons from the big distillers, and usually at a lower proof. You don't want to just jump right into a high-proof Don't bourbon. come into the barrel-proof stuff right away. It sets right. you right on fire is what it'll do. And yeah. I know aroma is a big portion of taste, and I, you know, like with beer, you'll just stick your nose there, a wine glass or whatever. Bourbon's hot, so you don't just want to, you know, breathe it in, correct? But Maybe. you want a glass that has some, like a chimney effect to it, so you do keep some aroma in there. And you're really looking for the color, the taste, the finish of a bourbon. All of those things play a role in how you perceive and like a bourbon. 
Okay. So when you're actually tasting it, like anything you do with your mouth, because I've heard of people talking about chewing it, like you chew on the bread. And I'm a believer in that when you're first tasting. Get a, get a decent swallow in there accommodate yourself to the burn that may come, but let it get all over your mouth because different parts of your mouth perceive different flavors. And that's a very important thing to do. I agree a hundred percent. And the first sip on a fresh glass of bourbon is always just going to be hot. It's going right? to be hot. Take another sip. It depends on your Drink palate. In my water, palate, right? maybe not, but, yeah. but in newer <laughs> people's palates, perhaps. The Bruce so. is loose, that's man. Right. You got to look Bruce out. Well, you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take another break, but we'll be back very soon to talk more bourbon. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing. Establishing a new standard in craft beer. Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash beerguys. Patrons get cool perks like Beer Guys swag and commercial-free episodes. You do not get a bottle of bourbon, though. You Unfortunately, don't. Maybe very one sad. Day. We'll see how one, things go. It might become legal at some point. Now let's get back to bourbon with Bruce. Bruce, we have moved on another in the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, George T. Stagg. Highly sought after, allocated. People literally put their names in lotteries. They absolutely do. And George T. Stagg is kind of the king of that group. Right. Uh, It's the one that's probably the most popular in the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. They do probably make the most of that one as well. So there's more of it out there. The problem has been over time that more people want it. Restaurants now want it, which they didn't want before. They weren't trying to get it. More people want it because of the name and not because they want to drink it because it's good whiskey. And that's why it's in short supply. Brian and I go to, there's a beer fest, or used to be a beer fest, COVID. COVID, yeah. But Strong Beer Fest was held at Wrecking Bar Brew Pub here in Atlanta. And two (laughs) years in a row, Brian and I had a tradition. We'd go to the Strong Beer Fest and then park ourselves at the bar and drink whiskey. That's right. And we were there. What did we find? Was it the 15 or 12 or something? So we've got the Van Winkle 10, which is fantastic. We we sat there and finished off a bottle with a couple of friends right there at the bar in the middle of a beer fest. And... Honestly, I don't regret anything. They did no regrets. They didn't have it on the menu, but we were talking to the bartender, and he's like, "Hey, I've got this," <laughs> and so we got a pour of it. And someone said, "Is that Van Winkle?" T-? We're like, "Yeah." Anyhow, long story short, they ended up emptying the bottle <laughs> sure. because of that. So, and I don't begrudge the Van Winkles the popularity of their whiskey now because there was a long time when they couldn't give it away. It was considered too expensive to be sold as whiskey. Yeah, still too dark. Uh, and, and it, and it is, but the price that the Van Winkles charge for it is nowhere near what the price that stores now and secondary sure. markets are charging Absolutely. for. That's, oh, for what, sure. that's what's made it completely ridiculous. Do you think even at MSRP is Pappy 23 worth the cost of admission? It's a matter of your taste, your profile preference. For me, okay. 23 is a little too old. I would rather drink a 20 or even the 15 rather than the 23. Mm-hmm. Now, you might want to have the 23 because of its value, although I must sure. put in the caveat that anybody selling whiskey doesn't have a license is breaking the law, but we know it all happens. Sure. <laughs> um, and crazy prices. I've had both in a, a, a taster that like, spend all of it that uh, I paid for handsomely years ago. 
15 is better. My favorite has been the 15 yeah. as well. I'll so, I mean, and you can't meet some things, just the experience has value. Yes, Brian and I true. this weekend drank a 2,000 bottle of Cuvée Van de Kaiser Blau beer. The beer was past its prime, but the experience of drinking a 21-year-old bottle of a beer that we love was really cool. So, you know, there was that value to it. But. Just the idea of thinking back to where you were then, if you could go back and tell yourself that something going into a bottle now, you're going to drink in 20 years. And Y2K, Brian. Yeah. Y2K. That's we right. We thought planes were going to fall out of the sky. We did. So. Like bottles? No. <laughs> yeah. Bruce, we want to offer people some suggestions, people new to bourbon, to get out there. And I think you mentioned that for new people, not just particular bourbons, but maybe certain distilleries. I did. You want to hold to, right? I, I believe that in order to get a consistent sense of bourbon, you should stick to the major distilleries distilleries when you're starting out and i would look for their bourbons that run in the 90 to 100 proof range maybe that's my own personal bias but 80 proof is just almost like drinking water for me you're already drinking uh, 60 percent water in the bottle to begin with the bruce is on the loose yes yeah. <laughs> but the major distilleries provide the most consistent bottlings and i talk about a few four roses is one of my favorites sure oh, four yeah. roses makes something called small batch lovely whiskey most of these ones I'm going to talk about are probably in the 20 to $30 range, at most $40. But if you still find that intimidating to buy a bunch of bottles in that price range, another option, if you have it available to you, is to find a good bourbon bar. Because any bourbon bar worth its salt is going to have these basic whiskeys available. And then you can try it by the glass without spending quite so much money. Same recommendation we give to new people to beer. You Absolutely. know, find you a good beer bar, go down yeah. there, tell them what flavors you like. Tell them what you like, and if you've got a good bartender... They're going to help you out. They're going to say, you know what? You need to try this. You need to check this sure. out. So, yeah. We've already tried another one that I think is an excellent choice. That's Elijah Craig, which is coming from the Heaven Hill Distillery. They also make a weeded bourbon called Larceny that for those who want to try a weeded style of whiskey. And those are all relatively available and relatively inexpensive. Larceny is really popular. I keep hearing that name come up a lot. Do you know I saw it on the shelves? And to me, the bottle just... Judging on visuals only, it looked like a cheap bourbon to me. I don't think the packaging um, the tells packaging, you it's a good bourbon. Packaging may have changed. I think they're now fairly similar to the Elijah Craig bottles okay, in gotcha. packaging, and, and, unless you find that one to be not appealing as well. No, Elijah Craig looks nice, actually. Yeah, That's distinctive I'm looking to me. at it right yeah. here. It looks good to me. Absolutely. The one most people have heard about is, of course, Buffalo Trace. And the bourbon I would recommend there is the name bourbon, Buffalo Trace. That's the one you can usually find a lot. Now, Buffalo Trace has struggled to maintain their supplies just because they have become so popular and they're popular for one word and that's pappy because that's where pappy's coming from weller has become super popular because it's been named the poor man's pappy because it's the same mash bill essentially the difference is the van winkles are picked into their profile and buffalo trace is picked into their profile and that can be different whiskey even though it's coming from the same mash bill they're different ages different things like that i can remember getting buffalo trace for like 1999 a yes. bottle i can and remember it for less <laughs> i know you said that it's different now but what i know is four roses yellow label then you said it's actually a beige it's a label beige now, color right? label but it's still frequently referred to as yellow it's label but yellow that's label. an 80 proof whiskey and so i yeah. i tend to encourage Ass. people to not go there i mean that's a perfectly fine whiskey. You know what? One thing I like about Buffalo Trace and the Four Roses Yellow Label, I think I've got, seriously got the Four Roses for like $16 a bottle. We're talking 16 to $20. They were good enough that if I was in the mood to have something neat or over the rocks, I could do that. But they were inexpensive enough that I didn't mind throwing them in a cocktail or even a Coke if I wanted a sure. whiskey and Coke. Yeah, and they've so. now migrated to 20 to $25, but they're still, sure, still very reasonable right? in the terms of the bourbon world as it stands today. Yeah, yeah. Good um, stuff. Yeah, considering how expensive some of the Buffalo Trace has become, being able to find anything that's like related to it 
in the $20 range is kind of crazy right now. It's nice that you still can. Well, Buffalo Trace is the same mash bill that will eventually become George T. Stag. It's just a matter of where it's aged and the proof that they put on it and how long it's been aged. That's the yeah. difference that we're talking about there, picking the profiles. And I think bourbons are one thing that I think there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily introduced. If you're like me, I grew up in the dirty south, Arkansas, in my young drinking years. Jim Beam was a popular there, you know, so whether it was tequila or whiskey or beer or cigars, I was not introduced into the cream of the crop here. So a lot of people made their first introduction. If you're getting your introduction at the bonfire party on the banks of the Mississippi River, you're not going to have a bottle of George T. Stagg out there. No, not, you know, most likely not. It is, right? So, but um, Jim Beam is one of those whiskeys, the Jim Beam White Label, which is their basic whiskey, is one of those three whiskeys that you can find almost anywhere in, sure, the, most anywhere in the country and almost anywhere in the world. You've got Jim Beam, you've got Jack yeah. Daniels, and you've got Johnny Walker, Jim, Jack, and Johnny. And you can find one of those, if not all of them, in any fancy hotel in any place in the world, and, and sometimes in the you know the beach, the bar, gas station, you know, yeah. the grocery store, whatever, Absolutely. right? Get by on some Johnny Black and some uh, yeah. Beam you or can whatever, make it happen, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, Bruce, let's say we step it up from here. Maybe we're not ready to pay six hundred dollars for a bottle of Pappy. <laughs> what are some mid range? You know, if you want to step up your game a little bit. Sure. The one we just tried earlier, the Elijah Craig Barrel Proof version, is an allocated bourbon that comes out three times a year, but it's findable. And it's in that range, $60 maybe, I think. And that's a, a very nice tasting bourbon with has some proof to it. So that's one to perhaps look for. Wild Turkey, which is another distillery that many people have heard of, has basic Wild Turkey 101. But they also have the Russell's Reserve line, which is a nicer okay. tasting yeah. bourbon for a little bit more money. And one worth pursuing once you've kind of settled on what your flavor profile is. And so I, that's one I would suggest thinking about as well. We've got a couple of bottles in front of me. And I have to ask because I think they're in that range. The Old Forester 1910, 1920. Are they in that range, or is that a little bit more advanced for people? No, they're in a similar price range, and they're not super high proof. Only one of those bottlings is up to 115 proof. The rest of them are around 100, either side of 100. And that's one of Old Forester's step-up lines from their basic Old Forester bourbon, which is another excellent, inexpensive bourbon, $25 for a bourbon or a rye that's at 100 proof, and that's very affordable for both drinking and cocktails. And I, I mean, there's bourbons that are hard to get that aren't necessarily the $100 bottles or $200 bottles. Uh, what is it? Weller 12 or Weller 12? Well, it's just it used Weller to be 12, around, yes. yeah. Weller 12 and Old Weller Antique, which is now referred to as Weller Antique. They've dropped the old. Yeah. Uh, are bottles that people are still looking for. And the prices aren't bad on them. You just can't find them. Now, they're not as good as they used to be. Well, but, unfortunately, yeah. with the internet these days, stores have recognized what the secondary market is, and they've <laughs> sure. now started marking those bottles in okay. secondary market. If yeah, somebody's going to make yeah. the money, the stores are like, why not us? You yeah, know? I, I, that's <laughs> true. Right. Why, make, not make, why not Make me? money while the sun shines, I suppose. Exactly. Well, we've even seen breweries whose beers were being sold for five and 600 dollars on the secondary market they started offering them in their tap rooms you know what if you're gonna do it 500 bucks man right yeah seriously Easy why stuff. should people who had no influence on the making of the product make all the make money off money. of it seriously raise the price to, to supply Crazy the demand stuff. that's yeah. i get it I it's get been it. tried yeah. but there has been some, some consumer pushback on some of the more basic brands sure absolutely sure. bookers yeah. is an example of that from jim beam where they tried to jack the price up to double it yeah and it was pushed back down because of the outcry. i remember that Tried to go up crazy, exactly. Yeah, Bruce, we are out of time here, sir. Any parting thoughts here on all of this? My parting thought would be get out there and try some bourbon. Try, try some, some basic stuff Easy and enough. find out what you like and then go from there. Good stuff. Y'all, we've got a lot more information to share, but we don't have time to do it. Please check our website at beerguysradio.com. We're going to have a lot more info in the show notes here. That wraps it up for this show. We appreciate you tuning in. Make sure to join us next week. 
We're going to be talking with microphone. Brewing. Microphone. Yes. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Do not forget to drink local. Cheers. <laughs>